I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I think that Soft Light is a little bit of a strange episode of The X-Files, but it is very important for one thing that I will tell you right now. Is it launching the career of Tony Shalhoub because he was actually, I believe, in Wings already at this time? He was, and he was very good in Wings, and Wings is a very underrated sex. I no. agree. We should do Wings one of these days. All right, let's do. All right, we'll just do Wings on Tony. <laughs> uh, that's going to be our next show. Uh, I think that would get very old very quickly. No, this was the first episode of the X Files written by one Vince Gilligan. Oh, okay. Huh. This is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, where he got his television writing career start i i think he may have written a couple of things before this um i, I don't know exactly how he got I, I i think this was a spec script and then he got on the staff at a later point and i i think that you can kind of see glimpses of how good he gets later in this episode yeah but it, well it, it this I, this is a very sort of disjointed episode that i i'm not sure it knows exactly what it's trying to do. I would say that about both episodes this week, but I, I, I think it's interesting because I know Tony Shalhoub and Vince Gilligan from their later work, which turned out to be very good. Again, T- Antonio from Wings, which was a funny character, and eventually he would go to be Monk, which is one of the, you know, which was a super popular show. Uh, Vince Gilligan would create Breaking Bad, but... If you were to show me this episode and you were to say, again, this actor is going to be one of the most popular actors on TV in about 15 years, and this guy is going to, the writer is going to create one of the most critically acclaimed series, I would be surprised at that. I guess they're both, I don't know, they feel a little wasted in this episode in their way. Well, it's interesting, right? Because I I think that that Soft Light is is a pretty good episode. I just think it's a little. It's a little muddled, but I, I, I think that it, it, it tries to do something interesting. And I, I do think if you look at it from the lens of, okay, we now know who Vince Gilligan is. We know what he is capable of. Yeah. You know, he goes on to write many episodes of The X-Files. He goes on, as you said, to create Breaking Bad, which was one of the most critically acclaimed television shows of the last decade. And, and you know, Tony Shalhoub, of course, as well, um, as you said. And I think that what you see in this episode is... Parts of the sort of, I think, because one of the things about Breaking Bad that I think a lot of people forget is that the show was kind of funny a lot of yeah. the time, right? And it's got this very sort of dark, sardonic sense of humor. And I think you see glimpses of that in this episode. I mean, certainly, uh, uh, for example, Scully, when they're looking at the hotel room that the guy was killed in, looking at the vent. Oh, yeah. They, they, don't, ca- they don't call it out as, ha-ha, that you know, we are calling back to squeeze, but... <laughs> That is exactly what they're doing. And so it is the kind of thing where he peppers. I think he gets Mulder and Scully already. And I was going to say, that is kind of how continuity and Breaking Bad worked a lot of the time. These callbacks that you would know if you've been watching. That is a very that style reference. Yeah. And so I I think that, you know, as you said, he understands Mulder and Scully very well. Yeah, he he understands Mulder and Scully very well. I think he gets their relationship. I mean, I don't know exactly to what degree his his script was massaged by Chris Carter or someone else, but you know that that tends to happen, especially for a new writer. But I think that that if you if you assume that uh, he wrote most of the episode, then he gets them very well. And I also think I mean this is also a hard script for I think a first time writer to handle because 
it starts out as a monster of the week episode and and quickly turns into a a mythology episode yeah and this is something that we've seen the show do more of i think especially in this season with something like um last week the episode we we talked about or the week before uh uh with the the virus that was going around that that was sort of turning into a mythology episode to some degree and and then this episode as well, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes go by. You think, OK, I, I've got this episode. I know what it's going to be about. Yeah. And then suddenly here comes, uh, uh, you know, Deeper Throat, uh, you know, here. And, and so th- these kind of things are happening in the episode and it sort of has this 180 spin on it. Yeah. no, And, and I don't want to imply in any any way that this is a lesser episode. I, I, I guess it's interesting to see this is a baby Vince Gilligan in a way, right? Like this is the, the, we are going to expect some great things from this, this kid at some point. Uh, what struck me about this episode is how much of it feels like a, I, I, I guess we have superheroes in our culture a lot. This feels like a superhero origin story, but not in a very different genre. If you know what I mean? I mean, the, the, this kind of a lab accident that gives you this kind of power is how, is how Spider-Man begins. Right. And, Yet it's used to become a monster. I think that's a very different – it says a lot to the show's view on science and the uses of science in that and especially allows the government to be an all-powerful entity in this episode even even as it fucks up a little bit. Yeah, because I mean I think that, that you know the episode obviously does a fake out and, and you think that the – I forget the guy's name, but the sort of, you know, nebbishy uh, scientist who's like, oh, I can't believe he's gone. Yeah. I guess he's missing. You know, that guy. And it turns out he's some sort of mastermind working for the government. Um, you know, that that's an interesting choice. And I think that looking at this episode as because one of the things about the X-Files, right, is that I think it it very much is imbued with a sense of mistrust of the government. Yeah. And, you know, that's not really something I think that we've examined too much on these podcasts yet but there is a sort of i don't want to call it uh i don't necessarily want to call it a sort of like right wing conspiracy thing i don't think chris carter is giving i don't i don't think that you know chris carter is like uh uh uh, giving money to republican candidates like the Koch brothers or anything although maybe maybe he is i don't know i I would but i think that sorry i would say this is very anti-corporate conspiracy theory in a way i mean it seems almost more coming from a left wing than a right wing view but it is in that vein yeah hmm, that's interesting i don't know that i agree with that i mean i think that i would say these two episodes the corporation and the government working together is in this episode and this corporate chicken farm are the are the true evils in both of these episodes and i i think because of the existence of Mulder and Scully as government agents, as representative of the government, as kind of the good version of the government, I think the show believes that – this is a show that believes that good cops exist and yet that there is rampant corruption and the problem is the corruption. I, I wonder about that though because I think that – you know, we'll talk about our town in a few minutes, yeah. but – and I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that, for example – uh, uh, it's you know the sort of protagonist of that episode, or the the sort of driving force for that episode, is a USDA inspector. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I, I do think that I don't know. It's hard, right? Because with Soft Light, what you have is the show once again having Mulder and Scully as 
the good cops, but I think also you could make the argument that they are the exception that proves the rule. The only that, good that cops. The vast machinery of the, the federal government is somehow corrupted or, or somehow, uh, you know, compromised in some way. And w- what you get in this episode is this sort of elaborate plot where, yes, you're right, there is a somewhat of an anti-corporate take on it. But we have to remember that the guy that had the Tony Shalhoub character get locked into the machine was working for the federal yeah. government. Like the corporation is more or, or the company. I don't know if they're a corporation is is more of a or the private entity let's call them is is more of a cover for the government basically trying to experiment with i guess dark matter and it is the case that i i think that it's much more an anti-government story as most of the x-files is i i guess the question for, for me I, I, and i guess this is my own personal political views informing that i i i think the problem is the corporate and the government in bed with each other and in a way the identification of the two. But I see your point as the corporation is a manifestation of the government, which is the ultimate kind of be- power behind everything. Uh, I, 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 And I guess in this show it does suggest that the government is more powerful than any other entity. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that that is the case. I mean, you could see that through line even going back to the very f- early first season episode, Ghost in the Machine, for example, where that was a corporation that was being run by someone who who thought they were doing a good thing, and the government was coming in, uh, you know, through the through the character of the security chief or whatever he was, uh, and and basically using governmental control to, to get at what they want as a cover. And so I think this is really spread throughout the X-Files. This is something yeah. that we will see much clearer later. And I also think that, you know, this is obviously something that plays very differently uh, in the context of, of 1994, 1995 yeah, yeah, yeah. than it does nowadays, obviously. I, I think that one of the problems with the 10th season of the X-Files is that Chris Carter apparently <laughs> uh, has not remembered that like 9-11 happened. Uh, and that like there are other ways in which the government is viewed now that is very different from the way that the you know because you're thinking about like in terms of just as as a small example like the Waco thing that happened in 1993 there was a general vein of anti-government conspiracy theories that seemed popular and prevalent in a way that I don't think is really the case anymore that is now seen as the providence of right-wing cranks yeah and the sort of fashionable fashionable conspiracy theories or i don't even know if i want to call them conspiracy (laughs) theories but it's like is is corporations is it sort of left-wing idea and so with an episode like this i think it is very muddled but i also think you can look at it in a lot of different ways no no and that's true and i also i am uh, again, ties to Breaking Bad. I'm thinking of where that ultimately goes with its view on corporations and things. And I would say that Vince Gilligan's views have shifted clearly because government is it's it's vague in uh, Breaking Bad. It's really only in the character of Hank, who is a DEA agent and generally a good guy. Um, it's the corporations, the uh, Poyo, Loco, Poyo Hermanos and the German corporations that own it where the true evils are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, just as a side point, too, I, I think that in general, uh, with, you know, not to talk about Breaking Bad too much, but yeah. I rewatched it, you know, a month or so ago, and uh, it holds up pretty well. But there, early on in that first season, there's a lot of talk about 
doing pot and stuff like that. And it just, it, it strikes me as a sort of like, wow, how far we've come in just less than a decade. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like God, idea. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. <laughs> uh, I assume we will have to talk about Breaking Bad as a whole at some point, but tune into that. Um, we have another one of their asshole people from their past again. And, and I guess, yeah, no, I, maybe I am coming around to your view that, only Smulder and Skelly are pure in this, and everybody else is an asshole because this this other detective, uh, the student of Scully's from the beginning of the season, is both – she's a very complex because she is completely being used by the greater powers in the government. She's trying to ally herself with them. She gets essentially eaten up by them in the end of this episode. Yeah, no, I think so. And I'm glad you brought her up because one of the things that I find, I think what you can say about Softlight more than anything else is that like Humbug, for example, I think that this is an episode of the show. It it is attracting writers that are more interested in getting outside of the 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 procedural box of the x-files i mean we've talked before about how the x-files could have taken a very different path and it could have just been eight or nine seasons of supernatural procedural and it 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 it's already chomping at the the strictures of that and i think you there's there's part of this episode to me that that just seems like there's another episode inside of it that really wants to get out but they're still trying to hedge their bets a little bit they're still they have one foot in the more classic supernatural procedural parts of the X-Files. And there's this other foot in this more interesting episode, frankly, that has more to say that is trying to get out, but they're just, yeah. they're, they're hedging their bets a little bit. And they're not, because I think that, that, you know, looking at, for example, when Mulder and Scully are talking about very briefly, even it's not a very long scene. And I don't even think there's like, there's yeah. two or three lines of dialogue about this. Where, you know, uh, uh, they're talking about um, the, the female detective whose first case this is. Ryan and, is and her Mulder, last name, was it? I think so, yeah. And, and we'll call her you know, Mulder says, Mulder says something about her being compromised or something. Hmm. And Scully says, well, she's just a woman trying to survive in the boys club. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, do more with that. Yeah. Like, that's interesting. You know, I, I think that, but, but they just kind of go, okay, well, that's enough. We don't need to talk about that anymore. But that yeah. is the case where if that was what the episode was about, I would have liked it more, I think. Yeah, Mulder's coming it from the perspective of, oh, she's working with the higher-up. She's not actually caring about the truth of the case. Um, and he is coming it from the perspective of somebody who, in a way, had more of a luxury to be the maverick in his way. I mean, the worst that happens to Mulder is he's in the basement and he's made so many connections because Escully points out he's a guy he has a certain amount of privilege that ryan doesn't have she doesn't have the capability of holding on to her convictions as much i mean even scully to a small degree has a little has a little protection based on the fact that she is working with Mulder. Mm-hmm. she yeah that scully has had to make certain sacrifices herself to be able to swim with the boys as as she's saying and the fact that she's managed to find herself in a situation where her partner does respect her and does allow her to be a full partner with him and all of that and doesn't even seem to notice if you know what i mean uh 
the the respect that he gives to Scully is very natural for him. Scully is very it recognizes where she is in that position and recognizes that Ryan is not. But again, it's I think it's it's interesting because yeah, I mean, you will read a lot of articles about women who have to kind of acquiesce to a lot of things. Uh, uh, I read this article about, for, for example, in tech bro culture, you know, women will have to be the cool girl who, you know, accepts certain, you know, remarks and stuff like that. And, you know, is this a case of genuinely I don't care or am I just pretending to not care in order to just get by because I don't want this to be a deal in a way? And yeah, I think that... Uh, this episode tangles that acquiescence in with the fact that, and I think this is a subtle through line through the episode. They wonder why is Ryan picked at a couple of points, and the the best explanation she can give is, you know, no one else wanted this. But it's very clear that the powers that be are viewing Ryan as extremely disposable. They know exactly what's going on in this case. They need the paperwork done. They're putting her in charge of it. If she happens to catch the the killer, he's going to go out of her custody, and if she gets in trouble for losing a, a losing a suspect, so what? Nobody else gives a shit. And yeah, yeah, because I, well, I think there's there's two things going on there, which is that that number one, of course, is that you know Mulder is kind of classically a good guy, yeah. and yes, he he has a lot of privilege because he is a white cis uh, straight man, but. At the same time, he's a good example of that. Mm -hmm. And he is very genuine in his respect for Scully. He is very open uh, to work with anybody, man, Mm -hmm. woman, whatever. Um, There's no indication ever given that that he has any sort of problems with uh, anybody in terms of their identity. But the other part of that, of course, is that the unspoken thing about that is that Mulder has the privilege to essentially torpedo his career and continue to fall ass backwards upwards because he's a man and he's white straight cis man like i said and that you know he has all of these crazy theories whereas scully has to really dot her i's and cross her t's she has to be very very uh very very precise she she cannot uh put herself on the line in the same way that Mulder can and i think you see that with with ryan as well now the other part of that too is that like you said they already know what's going on. They already know uh, that that the Tony Shalhoub character is, yeah. is essentially accidentally murdering all of these people, and that you know they're sending this, frankly, this this disposable woman out there on her first assignment because they don't care what happens to her, uh, yeah. and they also don't need to put anybody who's an actual quote quote unquote detective on it. And I just say that because this is her first detective yeah. case, not because she's not a competent detective. They make it clear that uh, she is over her head in this particular case, just because it is so complex. There are so many gears turning. Uh, her in five years would be able to solve this kind of a thing. Right. But then I guess my question for you is Mulder and Scully do, I think, get a little bit above where they think they're going to go. Yeah. They do solve this case. Now, do they solve it? Yes, because they don't know what's going on, but the government knows what's going on. However, there is this idea that, like, with um, with Our Town, even, or, or with other episodes, like, for example, with the Fluke Man, or, yeah. you know, if it's... Whatever. There's a lot of these examples where the the powers that be are sending Mulder and Scully out on these wild goose chases to try and undermine them. But they keep succeeding despite that. So at a certain point, 
don't you think they should stop doing this? Yeah. I mean, in, in the case of the fluke, um, I did get the sense it was a very subtle passive and X that was an under the table X file in a way. In other words, Skinner gives him the assignment because he knows this needs to be investigated as an X file, but I can't tell Mulder this. In another, in other words, I think Skinner gave him that to succeed. Uh, in this case, do but but in this case they don't. Mulder and Scully are the rogue elements. They're unofficially on this case. She only have. I think the. I, I think this is the government's uh, one error that they don't realize that she has worked with Scully before and has this. Sure. Even, 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 you, you would want to put it somebody who has no contact whatsoever with them, but yeah, she calls them under the table again. She doesn't tell tell her superiors that she's working with the FBI. Uh, and so they don't know that Mulder and Scully on, are on the case. Yes, is the hand of coincidence a little hard on that? Sure. But at the same time, we also don't know how many other cases Mulder and Scully aren't called in on, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a good way to put that. So, so maybe the last thing to talk about before we move on to, to our town then is, you know, we haven't talked a lot about the Tony Shalhoub character. And I think he's only interesting yeah. in that he is a pawn and, and does not realize it. Yeah, it's, it is it is a twist on the monster of the week in that you have this guy who's obviously causing the deaths of these people. And then when they meet him and talk to him, he is he's be, being driven mad by his experiences as anybody would be but in general he does not wish to hurt people he's trying to do what he can to solve this problem and he is uh, uh, and he becomes a figure of sympathy the the again the real monster is the government if there is a it's interesting uh, the major lovecraftian element to the x-files is not the aliens but the government in this that is the arcane unknowable enemy that has tentacles everywhere and that is ultimately all powerful again this guy this the episode ends very strongly with this guy literally being tortured in the name of science which is one of the exiles' big themes and the government fucking winning in the end yeah yeah i think so and i think that that i mean obviously of course that's baked into the yeah. uh, structure of the show i mean you you have to have the government continue to win otherwise there would be no show but at the same but, time the show does a lot with that theme it, it, it makes that i mean a lot of shows you will have that they have to fail again and again gilligan will never get off the island but when you make it the major theme suddenly it just becomes this repeated sorry i thought you meant Vince gilligan for a oh minute. Yeah. And I got very confused. <laughs> I, I, at this point, he probably can stay on the island as long as he wants to, let's face it. Um, and I guess the other thing that we are learning is how, in a way, hostile Deeper Throat is. Deeper Throat is at the point where he has realized he can't quite use Mulder as much as he wants to, and he's done I, Mulder has gone into this relationship in the best of faith, right? He has expected Deeper Throat to be just Deep Throat Part 2, to be somebody that, even though I don't quite know his agenda, even though I know he can use me at some times, we're both on the same side. Um, we don't get that assurance with Deeper Throat. Yeah. I mean, and I guess Deep Throat is willing I, I to do evil more than Deep Throat was. Well, sure, yeah. And I, I think that, I don't know. On the one hand, I, I I sort of wonder about the choice of having 
Because I don't think anybody likes Deeper yeah. Throat. I, I think that, you know, Deep Throat was a was an interesting character, and I think you're supposed to like him. I think that Deeper Throat is obviously supposed to be a more morally compromised character, someone who is yeah. uh, more more obvious about even telling Mulder that he's using Mulder. I think Deep Throat was using Mulder as well, but he was kind of a, you know, kindly grandfather figure. Well, he was, uh, using, I mean, he, he was using Mulder for something that, if it wasn't quite what Mulder's goals were, they were at least vaguely adjacent to his. Even if the compromise was ninety percent Mulder and ten percent Deep Throat, I would sure Deeper Throat is just if he, if he isn't getting a hundred percent his way, he's not working with Mulder because he doesn't need Mulder that badly. He's he will use Mulder when it's convenient, not because they have a mutually beneficial partnership. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, you know, the last thing I'll say about Deeper Throat is I think we would be remiss if if we did not mention the let's say problematic elements surrounding the fact that he is the only character of color in the show really uh on an ongoing basis and he's like a really really bad guy. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying I, that they did that deliberately, but I just think yeah. it's like it's interesting to look at the optics of those kinds of choices from 25 years later. Yeah, I would say that's definitely something we can notice now. And the solution would be to add to to add more of a representative over the members of the FBI, because we have yes. I mean, that's the thing. We've seen a lot of really bad guys who are white in the show as well. So. I wouldn't necessarily say it's on to, it, it it is entirely on to him. I mean the odds that Mulder and Scully are going to meet somebody who turns out to be nefarious are pretty good no matter who they are. Um yeah. But it, the the fact remains. And that and yet we have seen plenty of um of the texts that they work with of um you know random other, I mean, there there was a black woman coroner in an early episode, things like that. I would say, as you say, he is the only regular character of color at the same time. I think the show is, for its time, pretty okay about expanding at least its secondary cast or tertiary yeah, yeah, cast, I think. whatever. All right, well, let's talk about Our Town then. But before we do that, I just want to take this opportunity to remind all of you that we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Show. If you enjoy tuning in, if you enjoy Trekabout and would like to give us a little bit of financial support, uh, we would very much appreciate it. Uh, please go there and give now. Once again, it's patreon.com slash Show. So I really like that Our Town answers a burning question that I have had about the X-Files. And the question is, what if Dihan der Verlitzt and Red Museum had a baby and that baby was a chicken? <laughs> I, I think that this episode did a very good job at making chickens seem... Horrible? Creepy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to be fair, chickens are kind of horrible. I don't know if you've ever been around a chicken, but they're kind of gross and terrible and i i I don't like birds in general i mean there i go running three times a week and uh there are there's a pond with geese and god geese are horrible and i I want to murder them all and i'm someone who loves animals so i just think i don't like birds but anyway that's a side issue yeah this episode went to a lot of places i i'm i'm not sure if i liked it or not 
I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, like the first half, I thought it was going to be this one one of their more hard sci-fi. I, I had forgotten about the very beginning of the episode, but um, when they're talking at the point when they're looking at the uh, woman's brain and they're seeing, oh, it's got you know the sponge stuff, and she was you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's one of their weird hard sci-fi episodes where they have some kind of virus that gets and oh god, it's being spread throughout, and this is the X Files statement on factory farming like that and the industrialization of the meat industry and the abuses that are made in the name of profit again i'm i like the corporation to be the bad guys and so that's fine and then we get to all these cult things and she really is living forever and cannibalism and i kind of liked it and kind of found it horrible I think this, yeah, I know what you mean, because I, I think this is a rare example of, I mean, we haven't seen too many episodes of The X-Files that I think have so many tonal shifts and are doing so many yeah. different things, and it's still kind of all hangs together. Yeah. I mean, I'll just, let's just go over this really quickly. So what we have here is we have this guy, Chaco, who uh, was born in 1903, I think they say, at the yeah. end of the episode. He was fighting in World War II. He got shot down in New Guinea, found this tribe. They are cannibals, and I guess somehow eating human flesh makes you live forever. It's the X-Files. So when I he, can believe it. Fine. It, yeah, it's fine. So so when he comes back to America, he settles in Dudley, Arkansas. He creates this chicken company he decides to be some sort of patriarch of this town and inducts them all into this sort of like new guinea tribe uh cannibal thing and they i guess murder outsiders in order to continue to live forever and that is where the episode kind of begins because what happens is that incidentally this inspector has Kurtzfeld Jakob disease and spreads it all throughout the town yeah because they eat him that's pretty much what happened that's pretty much what happened yeah I mean they they certainly made a mistake in killing the guy that would have an FBI investigation on him but uh obviously it, it I mean he's obviously well, it, feeling very uh paternalistic towards uh Doris and you know he's let's let's get rid of your co- your deadbeat husband and you'll be one of us kind of a thing and solve our our problem too and all of that stuff but yeah well there is kind of a interesting thing i mean the x-files of course is 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 very interested in community yeah very interested in in that sort of insularity of communities and i think we've seen that in this episode i think we've seen that in dahan de verlitz i think we've seen that in humbug there's a lot of examples of that kind of thing this show is interested in the ways in which communities and groups have ins and outs and this is another example of an episode that definitely has outs. yeah i mean this is Um, more of the lovecraft influence on the show these horrible these tiny towns with these horrible secrets and they're doing these awful rituals and things yeah but there is i mean not to get too in the weeds about it but i i think that there is something to be said for the fact that the X-Files is, I think, trying to say something about the immensity of the country of America mm-hmm. and that, you know, the X-Files is a show that wouldn't work in the UK, yeah. for example. I, I don't think you could do it because America is such a large country. America has so many different looks and feels. America has so many little corners that you can kind of disappear in that 
this is a I mean, I mean in a in a very this is the most American show I think that we've ever talked about in a weird way. Well, yeah, I mean there are these you you will have stories about tiny towns in for example Eastern Europe or a lot of Japanese folklore has have these remote villages with evil rituals and I mean, in all of these cases, these are places with which do lend themselves to insularity due to certain regional areas, uh, due to the mountains of Eastern Europe, due to just the vast amount of space in a lot of America. Uh, I mean, you can have a town in the middle of nowhere in a, in a way. Um, yeah. And I guess to talk about America in this way, I found it extraordinarily significant that this episode that, uh, what's the chicken guy's name? Um, Chaco. Chaco. That Chaco lives on a plantation home with a black maid. That's... N- yes, I'm glad you picked up on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is... We are supposed to be thinking slavery in our heads when we are watching this episode. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, – again, I think that might be an adjacent point to the larger things it is making. It doesn't seem that, for example, this they are making any suggestions that the workers in this, in this factory are exploited particularly. Um, and yet – I don't know. Talking about uh, talking it, when you're talking about fucked up stuff that can happen in America. I mean, slavery is a very good thing to have a symbol of. Yes, I, I think that we should never forget to- uh, about slavery. <laughs> but but I, I yeah, no, I'm with you. But I also think that there is something else here, which is that the character of, of, of Chaco um, or whatever the fuck is, is was his name actually Chaco? I think it was. Yeah, because that that's he named his company Chaco. It's kind of like a Purdue thing. I, I guess. kept thinking about Chucky um, Chicken from Rocco's Modern Life, but um, <laughs> I kept I kept thinking of the Chaco tribe uh, in the Southwest, which is interesting because next week is called Anasazi. Oh my god! Now I'm thinking about a Chaco Taco. Um, <laughs> there was a reference to the Anasazi tribe at, very briefly in this episode. I wonder if they knew that the next episode was called Anasazi. I probably yes, I would think so. Yeah. There, there. I will talk about it next week because I think these last few episodes do kind of weirdly um, thematically link up in some way. But, but you know, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that next week. I, I think that I don't know. Our town is weird though because it is a very sort of disjointed episode, and I think in a way it's another one of those episodes where Mulder and Scully don't really yeah. have much to do. They don't really uncover what's going on until the very end and that's only really by accident because they're going to cut Scully's yeah. head off uh and and but it works like because i think what's what the show i think is realizing especially with this episode and and again once again i mean this you know i i was kind of remiss when this guy wrote the first episode of the show he wrote for but which was endgame but this well, was written was by that? frank Spotnitz. That was the uh, last two-parter with uh, um, the fake Samantha. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Frank Spotnitz becomes a very important writer for the show as well. He becomes like an executive producer. He writes a lot of the episodes. So what you've got here is is the show is starting to develop its like backbench or whatever. And these people are – these writers are really the people that I think are giving us – they're they're taking the X Files further in in a way that would not have happened if they did not write for the show, and so they have their own particular interests, they have their own particular uh, points of view, and specifically with Frank Spotnitz in this episode, 
it it seems to me that he is very interested in the sort of disjointed, almost accidental uh, uh, plot line that doesn't. I mean, if you look at this episode objectively, it's like what yeah. really happened? What did Mulder and Scully actually do? The answer is not much. It's there in a haunted but, house where they open cabinets and see heads, and you know they almost get in danger, and then then they get out slightly unscathed. Yeah. But but the but the show has realized that it can go deeper than that, and if you're going to have an episode where Mulder and Scully don't do much, you have to have some other thematic things going on that you can hang an episode on. And this definitely has a lot of really interesting set pieces in it, if nothing yeah, else. Yeah, the dredging the lake, the having all of these nine sets of skeletons in the. It, it does have some very striking imagery, even if Mulder and Scully don't do that much. It looks like they're doing a lot, right? I mean, all Scully does with uh, Doris at the end is look through a couple of rooms in this ha- in her house and then get kidnapped. But it feels like she's doing something. Yeah. Which well, is better than, you know, that- again, Dihan de Verlitz, they didn't do a damn thing. They just ran into rooms after everything had already happened. This, at least, they are progressing the investigation. Right, because I, I think that there is a there is a distinction to be made with episodes like Space or Dahan Deverlitz where Mulder and Scully actually don't do anything, and an episode like this where they do things, but they're just a step behind everybody yeah. else. And I almost think that's more interesting because the show is allowing Mulder and Scully t- to be a little, not incompetent, but just a little like off their game for an episode or two. And and I like that. I think that they're it, it makes them more human. It makes them uh, more interesting characters because they don't always have all the episode all the answers. And you know, Mulder in this in this episode is is spinning out some weird theory again. And Scully's kind of like, okay, whatever. Uh, and it turns out that Mulder is wrong. But it's okay that Mulder is wrong. Yeah. Mulder can be wrong because most of the time he's right. Yeah, and because usually what turns out to be the right thing is actually more interesting than his original theory. Uh, but he's kind of primed the pump, sorry to use Donald Trump's copyrighted phrase, uh, for, to be able to understand it. So, so what do we make about, about the cannibalism in this episode? Then? I mean, is it just supposed to be something beyond the pale that these people are doing that is horrible, that is obviously evil and fucked up, uh, in, in order for us not to sympathize with them? I mean, I think partially this is one of those, as you said earlier, tw- this is the show was made 25 years ago, and... The exoticism of this evil Papua New Guinea tribe does feel very dated and awkward now. Um, At the same time, again, given that slavery is on the table, we are dealing with the horrors that come with assimilating another culture in this way. Um, In other words, the horrors of a cannibalistic cult that have gone be. I mean, that speech that Chakotay makes about how... uh, you know, we've gotten away from our ways and we're turning on each other, which the episode doesn't seem to earn, but the character seems to believe, if you know what I mean. Um, Chakotay? Chaco, whatever his name is. Yes. I mean, I, I do think that part of that is correct, but I also think that there's a, I don't know, this episode seems to be, does this episode, this what it, this is what it seems like to me, that this episode is arguing for a very, very fucked up and frankly almost indefensible idea that the only ways in which you can keep these small communities together is by 
these really fucked up ways. Like, I mean, in Dahan de Verlitz, it was Satanism and, and sacrifice. In this episode, it's cannibalism. You know, in Humbug, it's just, well, Humbug is okay because most of those people are fine. Haha, because they're the freaks. Yeah, and even so, Red Museum, I think, argues that this weird cult is a benign one. It's different than many other people, but they aren't doing anything evil. Yeah, certainly. But then also I think that there is an element of of untouchableness mm-hmm. that these people seem to think that they have. I mean, they're killing a USDA inspector yeah. who is one of the good guys. He wants to shut the plant down for all of these violations. We don't really know what the violations were, but uh, that is the case that he sees them. And we have to assume that they're real because he's a USDA inspector and he seems like one of the only good representatives of the federal government that the X-Files has that aren't Mulder and Scully. Uh, also, we but also, then also don't know if – well, he was – well, he was he, he did have the medication, right? So that does suggest that he. No, no, no. I'm sorry. He had it congenitally. Okay, never mind. Um, I I, ass- right, he, I assumed yeah. that he was uncovering the cannibal cult, and that maybe they faked his bad report to. Eh, what would their motivation be for doing that? I don't know. I, I I got the sense that he was trying to shut them down and using that as his way because he couldn't prove the. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I'm spinning my wheels here. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that's right. Um, I, I think he really was uncovering things that were probably not great because, of course, yeah. that's what corporations do. But uh, in in the case of this episode, particularly, I think that the the town is really full of itself and thinks that it can get away with things. I mean, the end of the episode, they are going to straight up murder an FBI yeah. agent. Like how are they think they're going to get away with <laughs> that? Uh, they they basically set the birth records on file fire for the entire town. I mean, that's really, really salting the earth yeah. to a large degree. I don't know how they think they're going to get away with that. I mean, there are, there are ways in which these people are a little bit desperate, but they don't seem like they're desperate. They just seem like they're like, well, we're untouchable. We, we, we honestly, aren't afraid of anything. So what you're saying is they're the Republican Party in 2017. Yes. Okay. Um, no, I, 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 uh, I'm being facetious, but I think that is, that is one of the episode's points, that power f- does feel itself to be untouchable. And maybe it is really only last-minute coincidences such as, you know, Mulder not arriving a minute later that managed to take them down. But... Uh, I, I and that I will say I think that that was the one sour yeah. note of the episode. I knew exactly that it would be what would happen. Yeah, and I think the show is going down the road of putting Scully in mortal danger one too yeah. many times. It could be Boulder every yeah. once in a while. A and B, we know what's going to happen. They're not going to chop Scully's head off. So at least do it well. And it just went on a little yeah. too long. Like. I, <laughs> Like, it seemed like it took Mulder a very long time. Like, he parked his car really <laughs> from them and then ran over, and you're I like, I thought he was uh, going to drive it at the people, and then they would scatter. Like, I thought it was going to be something like that, even. Um, yeah, like, he should have done that instead, well, anyway. Well, you know, we are not FBI agents, so, you know, maybe there is something in the training manual that does tell you the minimum amount of far you have to park your car when you are saving another agent's life. I mean,. We remember that episode about Mulder didn't save the hostage because he was going by the book. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing we know now, it is that Mulder does not go by the book. Mm. So, well, then maybe the book says go as close as you can because, you know, minimize the distance that you have to run in order to conserve your stamina and drive your car faster. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm Mulder. 
Well, the last thing that I want to mention before we wrap this episode of the podcast up is that uh, apparently Vancouver, BC was having beautiful weather the week that they shot oh. this. It was uh, sunny with blue skies. Uh, Mulder was walking around in sunglasses, and this was giving me flashbacks to uh, the later seasons of The X-Files when they moved production to Los oh. Angeles. So you have that to look forward okay. to. Okay. That'll be nice. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of The X-Files we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, as we said before, patreon.com slash show. If you would like to give us a little bit of monetary support, it would be very much appreciated. It also supports our other podcasts, Truckabout, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are in all those places. Tuning In Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new people to find the show. As silly as it sounds, it has something to do with algorithms and IT and programming. And I wish it would all go away, but it's not. This is the future we live in. So please do give us a review. I don't know if Otherwise, that neutrality we'll gets struck down. It probably won't be our future much longer. So That is true, yeah. All right, next week we are, we're actually going to be doing things a little bit differently next week. Uh, we're only going to be talking about one episode of The X-Files. That is because for some reason that is inscrutable to me, they did 25 episodes of The X-Files this season. Seems like a weird number, but whatever. Uh, and so instead of talking about season two and the beginning of season three, we're just going to wrap up season two of The X-Files next week by talking about the episode Anasazi. Mac, why do you... 